to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Misty, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect Education Workshop. And today's program is titled Understanding How Healthcare Disparities May Influence Your Cancer Treatment and Care with Tips and Strategies to Find the Best Cancer Treatment and Healthcare Team for You. Uh, today's program is supported by Bristol Myers Squibb, Pfizer, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of today's program. And we have over 201 participants on this program today. You come from all over the United States, from both um, urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions. And we also have international participants today from Australia, Canada, Denmark, Egypt, Lithuania, Malaysia, Poland, and the United Kingdom. So this is a global call as well. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I'm going to ask you just a few questions to see, um, really, we've been doing this for the past year to really get a sense of what you may know coming into today's program. So I'm going to start, um, and for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll be able to hear me read the questions and you'll be able to rate your answer to the question. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the disproportionate burden of COVID-19 and its variants and cancer on people of color. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand social determinants of health, including language spoken, health literacy, food insecurity, housing, job commitments, food and pharmacy deserts, and access to cancer treatment in the LGBT community. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the influence of local and regional environments on access to healthcare and oncology care. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, I understand how race may impact access to oncology care, treatment, management of treatment side effects, quality of life, and pain management. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. This will be the last question. I understand how to increase access to health-promoting nutrition and how telehealth, telemedicine appointments may increase access to health care, cancer screening, cancer treatment, side effect, and pain management. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank all of you who participated in these uh, questions. It really helps us, again, to plan, as we plan programs in 2022, to be sure we're meeting your needs and what you need. And now it's really my pleasure to actually introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Lisa Newman. Dr. Newman is Chief Division of Breast Surgery, Director Interdisciplinary Breast Program, Medical Director and Founder, International 
Center for the Study of Breast Cancer Subtypes, Weill Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital Network, Second Vice President, American College of Surgeons. And Dr. Newman will be addressing disproportionate burden of COVID-19 and its variants and cancer on people of color and how race may impact your access to oncology care. It's really now my great pleasure to, to introduce my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lisa Newman. Hello, it's a pleasure to join everyone today to talk about a very important topic. Unfortunately, however, it's very disappointing to have to discuss some exacerbations that we've seen recently with regard to health outcome disparities. The COVID-19 pandemic indeed was disproportionately severe among communities of color, in particular among African Americans and Hispanic Latinx individuals. Morbidity and mortality from the COVID uh, medical issues were twice as high in these communities compared to white Americans, and several factors contributed to this disparity in COVID severity. Many of these explanatory factors are related to socioeconomics and pre-existing healthcare access barriers and pre-existing conditions that are seen more prevalent in communities of color. Any type of health threat is going to be disproportionately experienced in communities where there are higher rates of poverty because poverty rates will go hand in hand with difficulties in accessing the healthcare system. This will result in delays in treatment and worse outcomes. We see this in cancer where cancer morbidity and mortality is higher among African Americans and we saw this play out, unfortunately, with COVID, with COVID morbidity and mortality higher in African Americans as well as Hispanic Latinx communities. Comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes, uh, obesity, these comorbid conditions are also more prevalent among communities of color. In particular, they are quite high in the African American community, and these comorbidities contributed to higher severity of COVID pneumonia as well. Also, we see various features of housing and population demographics that resulted in higher COVID morbidity in communities of color. African Americans, Hispanic Latinx communities are more likely to reside in homes that feature multi-generational families. And as we all know, our elder patient population was more susceptible to COVID severity. Communities of color are more likely to cluster in urban neighborhoods, inner city communities, where we see that the higher population density will also uh, exacerbate the spread of COVID. And in these very dense neighborhoods with high populations in smaller areas, you see broader spread of the, uh, the, the pandemic virus and these communities are less likely to be able to comply easily with social distancing that can mitigate COVID severity. We also see that individuals from communities of color are more likely to depend upon public transportation for their day-to-day -day needs, including employment tra travel, and public transportation is another venue for spread of the pandemic and uh, exacerbation of uh, the, the COVID uh, morbidity and mortality. 
in terms of jobs, we know that African Americans and Hispanic Latinx individuals are more likely to have jobs that are what we call the essential jobs, the jobs that kept our cities, our country really kept all of us going during the height of the pandemic. And these jobs were exempted from the pandemic shutdown. As we all recall, during the height of the, the COVID surge in the spring of 2020, we essentially had to uh, comply with the most extreme of social distancing policies with shelter-in-place mandates, and this was necessary for several reasons. We needed to comply maximally with social distancing policies so that we could try to uh, uh, mitigate the effects of the pandemic, but we also had to divert our medical resources to delivery of COVID care, and this meant that we had to shut down elective healthcare services for things like uh, cancer screening, including breast cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening. The essential workers kept our cities going, but since they were exempted from these uh, social distancing policies and the shelter-in-place mandate, these essential workers who were disproportionately represented by Hispanic, Latinx, and African Americans did continue to be exposed to the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, and these, the types of essential workers that I'm referring to included our hospital workers, sanitation workers, uh, delivery, grocery delivery staff, and our grocery store personnel. All of these features increasing exposure to the COVID virus. Now, in the aftermath of the hiatus, there have continued to exist several pandemic-related issues that still have an impact on the health of our population overall, but especially among the health and the cancer risk of individuals from communities of color. The COVID recession was disproportionately severe among African Americans and Hispanic Latinx with notably high unemployment rates among individuals from these communities. And even as we experienced some recovery from the COVID recession, that recovery was seen less in communities of color, and we continue to see unemployment rates that are disproportionately high among African Americans and Hispanic Latinx compared to the white American community. These higher unemployment rates go hand in hand with these individuals losing their employment-based insurance, and this results in not only loss of health care insurance for the individual, but often loss of insurance for the entire family, further perpetuating health care access barriers related to socioeconomics. Furthermore, as our health care facilities returned to some semblance of normalcy in terms of restoring elective care after the COVID shutdown, our healthcare facilities have nonetheless had to continue adhering to social distancing policies, which means that there are fewer uh, appointments available to patients, and we have to make sure that uh, these appointments are spread out more. We have to make sure that there are fewer patients and their family members present in the lobbies and in the clinic rooms. 
This also means that we are uh, disadvantaging many of our patients that are non-English speaking because they are less able to bring family members or support uh, members with them on their visits to help understand their treatment needs and to help them in communicating with their healthcare providers. Having these fewer appointments available overall for delivery of medical care means that screening programs such as mammography, colorectal cancer screening, all of these screening programs are going to be less available to our patients. And again, because of socioeconomics, this poorer access is going to be disproportionately felt among communities of color, African Americans and Hispanic Latinx. Also, the digital divide is something that has been uh, very much in uh, the forefront of uh, public health issues in the wake of COVID. COVID and the pandemic made all of us that much more reliant upon broadband high-speed internet access, not only for employment and education, but also for healthcare delivery as we've relied much more on telemedicine and video visits. The digital divide is not simply a phenomenon that relates to rural versus urban areas. In our inner cities and in urban areas, it's been well documented that African-American households are less likely to have subscriptions to broadband high-speed uh, internet. We have to make sure that we support efforts to make high-speed internet access widely, universally available. Our public hospitals and the safety net healthcare institutions were disproportionately devastated by the costs of COVID care, and these facilities deliver a disproportionate amount of cancer screening and cancer treatment to our communities of color because of those socioeconomic disadvantages that we've been alluding to frequently. And so we do need to make sure that our safety net hospitals are supported so that they can provide the care that our communities of color and socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals need and deserve. Also, our philanthropic organizations have been disproportionately affected by the COVID uh, pandemic. Many of these organizations that uh, do a lot of our educational programs and outreach to underserved communities because they provide free and low-cost screening and they frequently defray the costs of cancer care to socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals. A lot of these organizations typically rely upon large public gatherings for their fundraising. And during the pandemic, with social distancing policies, they have not been able to conduct a lot of these fundraising efforts, which means that they are less able to conduct a lot of these outreach efforts that we have come to rely upon so heavily. So it is more important now than ever that we support our patients from communities of color, our socioeconomically disadvantaged communities to the greatest extent possible. The National Institutes of Health have projected that we are going to see an excess of 10 million deaths from breast cancer and colorectal cancer 
by the time we reach the year 2030, because of the overall pandemic effects on cancer screening, on cancer treatment, and also or its impact on cancer research, because social distancing policies, the COVID shutdown, all of these events had a negative impact on the way that our researchers were able to conduct their investigations in the laboratories. We can predict that these 10 million deaths are likely to be born disproportionately among individuals from communities of color and our socioeconomically disadvantaged communities unless we work collaboratively and intentionally to support these communities. So again, I thank you for your time and attention, and I look forward to working with all of you as we continue to try to mitigate healthcare disparities and cancer disparities in particular in the wake of the COVID pandemic. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Newman. That was an extraordinary presentation, just wonderful, and a wonderful way to start the program today um, in highlighting many of the issues that confront communities of color and, um, and all of the effort that we all need to put into place um, to really um, overcome some of these barriers. So thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Maria Chai. And Dr. Chi is, is an oncology social worker, author in psychosocial oncology and financial toxicity and social determinants of health. And Dr. Chi will be addressing social determinants of health, including language spoken and health literacy, the role of housing, cost of treatment and care on your health, and food insecurity, tips to increase your access to health-promoting nutrition. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Chi. Social determinants of health are conditions in the environment where we were born and raised, where we grew up, in addition to the environment where we live now, where we work and go to school, where we may get our cancer treatment and other kinds of health care. These conditions are important because they affect our quality of life and health outcomes, certain diseases, and also how well we do with them. There are five main categories of social determinants of health, including economic factors, meaning our ability to earn a steady income and access to job opportunities, our neighborhood, which is our immediate environment and access to things like clean water, safe housing and transportation, social and community, such as our exposure to racism and discrimination and opportunities to participate in meaningful social activities, and healthcare factors, including our access to nutritious food and places for physical activity or exercise, and finally, educational factors our access to quality schools, education, reading materials, and our primary language, and our community's literacy rates, including health literacy. In particular, having access to education and literature, especially in the healthcare environment, in our primary language affects our ability to access preventive screenings, like breast or colon cancer screenings. Language barriers may also lead to miscommunication between patients and healthcare providers, which can affect the quality and safety of our care. Some hospitals and clinics offer in-person or telephone interpreter services, which help remedy this, but they can be costly and time-consuming. Ideally, healthcare institutions would hire more providers with fluency in other languages common in the U.S. Health literacy, or the degree to which we can find, understand, and use health-related information to make decisions for ourselves, exists at both a personal and organizational level. 
Organizational health literacy is the degree to which healthcare institutions help us find and understand the health information we need to make healthcare decisions. So our hospitals and treatment centers also have a responsibility to ensure access to material and services that we can actually use. For example, are there pamphlets and brochures or info on their websites at a level that most of us can understand without too much medical jargon or confusing explanations? Unfortunately, we know that lower health literacy is associated with more hospitalizations, fewer cancer screenings, and overall worse health status. Now, another important social determinant of health is the quality and abundance of our housing options and the high cost of cancer treatment and its related expenses. Access to adequate, affordable, stable, and safe housing is a key component to good health outcomes. For example, not having a stable home increases the risk of poor health, medical emergencies, substance use, and depression. All of these things in turn make it harder to get a stable job or education, tap into social networks, or even store our medications properly. Substandard housing, which means things like exposure to lead paint, lack of clean water, lack of ventilation, extreme temperatures, all contribute to worse health outcomes. On the other hand, we know that providing financial assistance, like through the government's low-income home energy assistance program to help with utility bills, or through rental subsidies and eviction or foreclosure assistance programs, makes it easier for people to access their health care providers for regular checkups and preventive care or to keep their cancer treatment appointments. The high cost of cancer treatment and its related expenses such as transportation, medications, special nutritional needs, home care, et cetera, means that people often have to go into debt, skip important medications, or even postpone their cancer treatment appointments. Not surprisingly, this can lead to higher stress and depression and worse health outcomes. And certainly, many people in this situation find it difficult to access healthy food and groceries. This is called food insecurity, or not having consistent access to safe, nutritious food which in turn can make chronic health problems worse. Fortunately, there are resources to help. For example, local food banks and pantries, sometimes on an emergency basis, exist all over the country. You can go to foodpantries.org or feedingamerica.org to find your local food bank. Mutual aid societies around the country often help people find free or donated resources, such as groceries go to mutualaidhub.org to find one near you. You can also look for soup kitchens, sometimes through churches or other religious organizations, or nearby senior centers that offer free hot lunches or breakfast. To see if you're eligible for food stamps or the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, go to nutrition.gov slash food assistance programs. Meals on Wheels also has food distribution programs for seniors all over the country. Through Women, Infants, and Children, or the National WIC program, you can receive vouchers that can be redeemed for healthy foods at the grocery store. And always, you can ask your hospital social worker, case manager, patient navigators, nurse care managers, or nutritionists about these resources and where to find them in your community, or call Cancer Care's Hopeline for help in locating them. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Chi. That was really wonderful. And actually, we're going to provide to all of you um, at the end of today's program, or probably by tomorrow, you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation of the program. And in that evaluation, we do appreciate you filling it out. But in addition, there will be all the resources that are mentioned during the program. So all the ones that Dr. Chi just mentioned will be included for you to have access to. So um, if you are trying to write them all down quickly, um, you'll be getting them also um, um, electronically from us as well. So thank you so much. Um, thanks so much, Dr. Chi. So that was really wonderful. A lot of good tips and suggestions for everyone. And our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Uh, Dr. Palos is actually her own healthcare team. She's a doctor of public health. She is an MSW social worker, and she's a nurse in RN. So, um, and she is former clinical protocol administration manager. Office of Cancer Survivorship, University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center, author and researcher in healthcare disparities and survivorship. And Dr. Palos will be addressing influence of the local and regional environment in which you live, food and pharmacy deserts, job commitments and access and transportation to treatment and more, access to cancer treatment in the LGBT community, and tips to find your best care team and to cope with healthcare disparities, valuing, valuing your identity. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Good afternoon, uh, Dr. Messner. I appreciate that introduction. It's an honor to participate in this teleconference with our participants and our esteemed panel members. I'd like to share something with you. As a nurse scientist, I was involved in clinical trials studying the effects of medications um, to manage pain and symptoms related to cancer or its treatment. I learned from our patients and their families of the negative impact health disparities can have on a patient's access to screening, treatment, and symptom management services. I also learned how health disparities also contributed to the uncertainty so characteristic of the cancer journey. Uncertainty is a common theme across the various stages of the cancer experience. Research indicates that uncertainty can contribute to emotional distress, yet research also shows that uncertainty can lead to a source of strength and, and different, stronger coping mechanisms. How a patient and their family cope with uncertainty can be impacted by various factors, such as the ability to access services, whether the services are affordable, and if the services are even available in their region. These types of questions often fall under the umbrella of health disparities. Dr. Newman and Dr. Chi's discussion provided a glimpse and a pretty good overview of the additional factors which contribute to health disparities. In the next few moments, I will discuss how specific populations in our, in our country face significant barriers to cancer treatment because of their color, sexual identity, or economic status. Then I will share some resources that may help deal with factors contributing to health disparities and close with tips on how to find the best healthcare team for your journey. Cancer does not affect all people equally. The phrase cancer disparities refers to differences in cancer outcomes that exist among different populations. Disparities are more often negatively affected by racial uh, are more often found in racial and ethnic minorities, poor people, sexual and gender minorities like our LGBT uh, plus groups, adolescent 
young adult populations and adult and older populations. In the United States, health disparities are commonly used to describe differences in illnesses among racial and ethnic minorities. However, it's important to note that our health disparities can impact different groups, again, based on factors like age, gender, education, level, um, income, disabilities, and sexual orientation. And most recently, we have found that COVID has had lingering financial impacts in most households that we're not used to having those types of issues to uh, deal with. And that's because they have, uh, many families have faced job or wage losses, um, thus losing insurance or the ability to pay for services out of pocket. So plenty of research supports the fact that cancer outcomes are worse in people who experience such disparities. Why? Because other diseases also then come in and affect the ability to treat cancer well. There are comorbidities or other chronic conditions such as heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and even uh, infections like COVID that all often impact certain communities. Again, because there's limitations in access to these types of treatment, it can also then consequently have an effect on cancer treatments, uh, whether or not they're available, um, whether or not those side effects that they get may be um, controlled effectively. So factors that lead to health disparities, such as the poverty, socioeconomic factors, lack of trust even in doctors and medicine, low literacy and inadequate or no health insurance can create barriers along the entire cancer continuum. And then socioeconomic factors such as job insecurity plays a major role in, in treatment decisions and ultimately cancer outcomes. For instance, a woman may choose certain treatment options if they must worry about a, a, being able to take time off from work or if they do take off, what, um, what type of pay they will lose for those days. Or some patients sometimes have to use public transportation to get to those cancer services. And often the buses may uh, not be running or they may miss a bus to connect to another bus to get them to that treatment center. So all of those then have an impact and, con and contribute to health disparities. We also have found that people facing health disparities are less likely to enroll in clinical trials for cancer treatments. Clinical trials offer new, treat new treatments that can improve cancer outcomes. However, if people with low income or insufficient or no health insurance uh, are not able to access the doctors they need or have the extra procedures that they need uh, associated with the clinical trials, then again, they are facing disparities and having poor outcomes. So it's important to speak to your team about the costs associated with your treatment. I encourage you do not be embarrassed or reluctant to discuss these things with your team. It can start with your oncologist if that's what you'd like to do, but there's also other folks on your team, your social worker, your case manager. And if you can't access those folks, then try. you can also go online. There's many resources available. Um, cancer Care, of course, has some wonderful programs, and Dr. Mester will address those in a moment. Uh, the American Cancer Society has those. Some of the um, organizations that specialize in one particular cancer, like the lymphoma leukemia groups, they all, again, can um, provide resources. Also, ASCO, through their program called CancerNet, has some wonderful resources available uh, 
online, there's a very nice booklet that they have talking about uh, the cost of cancer, and it gives a lot of very good information uh, ranging from what kinds of questions to ask about the financial costs associated with your treatment to even listing the types of pro uh, programs in your areas. We've also found that some um, people living in certain regions also will have to face disparities um, that are unique to them. For example, some uh, access to medications such as opioid analgesics and pharmacy services are less accessible in predominantly minority communities than elsewhere. Now, pharmacies are an important part of the healthcare system because they dispense prescription and over-the-counter medications and increasingly provide preventive services like uh, COVID testing and immunizations. However, geographic access to pharmacies vary across the United States. So this then, the disparities can impact medication adherence or how well a patient takes the medications. And again, medication adherence influences health outcomes ranging from cancer progression to cardiovascular disease. So it's almost like a domino effect, isn't it, where we see one thing contributes to another that leads to another that leads to another. Disparities in the use of prescription medications may be related to the fact that more members of minority groups often live in pharmacy des uh, deserts or that low-income uh, access communities, often uh, the residents have to travel further to the nearest pharmacy to obtain their prescription medication. The pandemic has accelerated the growth of pharmacy deserts as unprofitable and less profitable stores have closed. You may have noticed in your local community some of the mom-and-pop pharmacies have been um, closing, or even some of the uh, pharmacies related to larger retail pharmacies have been closing in those communities. It's worrisome uh, for the urban poor who are less likely to try online pharmacies and more likely to let their drug uh, plans or schedules lapse when they can't get their medication locally. You heard a uh, from Dr. Chi a little bit about the food deserts that occur. And this tends to exist in regions with the following characteristics. Those that have very large or very sparse populations, low income areas, those that have uh, communities with high levels of employment, or inadequate access to transportation, or a low number of food retailers providing fresh produce at affordable prices. Now, it's important to realize that these pharmacy and food deserts can occur in the same region. So the synergistic effect of lacking these types of access to uh, pharmacies or to uh, healthy foods can, again, contribute to poor outcomes in certain groups. We've also found that in rural areas, the most important predictor of food and pharmacy access is the lack of transportation. This means that people who don't have their own bicycle or vehicle or lack access to public transportation are more likely, again, to lack access to pharmacies that carry the medications they need or to healthy foods. So the lack of these two sources suggests that people living in these uh, deserts are at increased risk of obesity, diabetes, um, and side effects, long, uh, and unwanted effects from the uh, impact of comorbid diseases in their cancer treatment. So fortunately, there are, are food projects that often occur or rise up in local communities that are working to improve food systems in food deserts, and their overall uh, aim is to help increase residents' access to helpful foods. The other thing about the pharmacies is that 
it's important, again, to speak to your team, to let them know that, you know, a pharmacy is not close to me. I have to travel on the bus an hour to go be able to get the pharmacy that can give me the medications that I need. That way they can put you in touch with your social worker or case manager to talk about what resources might be available closer to you or to talk about how they may support your ways that you need to um, get transportation to those areas. So the combination of all these factors supports the need to have a healthcare team that understands how these factors impact your choices of where do you receive your treatment or whether you're able to follow the treatment or medication plan and how family members and caregivers are also at risk to having negative effects on their own health from having to deal with barriers associated with health disparities. When it comes to cancer, you want to have not only the best team, but the right team. However, finding the right team is not an easy job. Again, several factors influence where you receive your treatment. Is that treatment available in your local region or where you need to have to travel to another city or state? Because cancer is such a complex disease, often requiring complicated treatment plans, numerous members are needed on the cancer team. Cancer treatment can be complicated with several different professionals involved and so now they're creating multidisciplinary healthcare team. This cadre of team members provide different types of expertise which will support you during your journey. It's important that to understand the roles of each of these members in order to maximize the best use of their special skills. The members of such teams come from different specialties or disciplines. They include surgeons, radiation and medical oncologists, internists specializing in cardiac or incontinence endocrine conditions, um, other important members are your nurse practitioners, physician assistants, the clinic nurses, the nurse navigators, genetic counselors, all of those. And so some of that team, those teams and their disciplines may not be available in your local area. So you may need then to talk to your team about getting referrals to other areas or is it absolutely necessary at this point in your journey to have access to those types of healthcare teams? So knowing who the members of your healthcare team is one of the most important steps throughout your cancer journey. This is especially important because some members of your team will change as you transition to different states of the cancer experience, such as moving from one type of treatment to another. You will benefit more if you can establish honest and helpful communication and trusting relationships with your team. Now, I'd like to share a, a few uh, tips on how to achieve those goals. One of the simplest ways to know your team is through introductions. Be sure to introduce yourself to each team member. And sometimes if a member forgets to introduce themselves, you can just ask them to please, you know, uh, uh, my name is so-and-so, I, I missed your name, something like that. But again, don't be reluctant or shy to ask them to introduce yourself because the last thing you want to do is leave the appointment not knowing who you spoke to and not knowing who you can call when you leave that appointment. So it's vital that you ask each team member who you need to contact in case of emergencies or questions that may come to you after your visits. So it's important um, to remind our callers that quality cancer care will be available also through your local uh, oncology clinics, your public hospital systems in your region and other areas. You don't always have to travel to a major comprehensive cancer center to get quality cancer care. Due to our time limits, I won't 
be able to continue with other tips. I'm sure many of you have your recommendations on how to choose and know your healthcare team. Perhaps you can share them with us during the Q&A. Your team takes your care very seriously. And remember, you are also a member of the team, so you have choices in the decisions made about your care and the manner information is communicated to you and your family members or your caregivers and in your satisfaction with the coordination of your care. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. This concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really wonderful, actually. And I think that's a great idea that if people have tips and suggestions for us during the Q&A, please share them. So you don't just have to ask a question. You can give us your own tip of what works, what worked for you. That would be terrific. Okay. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Um, and um, Dr. Fleischman is um, former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing how race may impact your cancer treatment, management of treatment side effects, and pain management. Effective COVID-19 experience on healthcare systems, how telehealth telemedicine may help in advancing your health equity, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Uh, all of our speakers today have been able to outline the ways that our system uh, doesn't always function at its best to deliver good care to patients all across the country um, who live in different, different types of environments, either larger cities, smaller cities, or rural areas. Some of that is due to geography. But lately, there's been um, talk about um, the fact that there are other factors, personal factors, that may uh, interfere with getting the best care possible. And um, as, as a society, we have gotten uh, used to discussing and acknowledging these um, factors. COVID-19 came and the pandemic actually put um, both the, the observation and the discussion about this aside while we were dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, which itself brought the same types of difficulties and exposed a lot of the um, areas where our care system could improve greatly. So um, as far as the topic of race goes, this is highly controversial. Uh, but a number of writers have discussed the idea that we all have a certain amount of implicit bias. That does not mean that we go out of our way to discriminate against any one group, but we all have personal biases. They're sort of unconscious that often bring us to conclusions quickly. And uh, the idea is that we really need to look at them and see if they're happening or not. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Um, and it's important that we understand how that can contribute to uh, providing and getting good care uh, when we're ill. Um, in, in cancer, uh, apart from the um, issues about COVID-19 and how uh, that has impacted upon cancer screening and cancer treatment, and that's been uh, discussed elsewhere, uh, it's important to understand that in cancer itself, there are many impediments at each step of the process that may be affected by 
um, implicit bias. And those could be things like uh, fewer screenings, could be things like this discovering cancer at a later stage, not only because of provider bias, but because many of us are um, don't want to go to the provider and find out bad news. So some of us put it off to the very last minute when a symptom is just so bad that there's no choice but to recognize it and get some attention for it. And that may actually mean that our cancer treatment doesn't respond as well or we need more aggressive treatment that makes us sicker before it'll make us better, if it will make us better at all. So um, fewer screenings, later stage treatment, maybe even um, an increased interval between the time someone discusses uh, discovers a first symptom, gets medical attention, and all the time it takes to get to the right specialist, all the time it takes to get the right testing done in order to define what kind of cancer is, what stage is it at, what are the characteristics of the cancer, and what's the best treatment for that cancer. And that can be affected not only by um, uh, everybody's reactions, but also um, if transportation is available, if someone has to take time off from a job that pays an, uh, where they get paid by the hour so they can't afford to get to multiple appointments because as as we really prize the idea that cancer treatment is a team issue here, um, especially in the United States at the larger cancer centers, that often means going to more appointments, uh, which means more time off from work uh, if we can get there. Uh, and if we have other uh, responsibilities that may keep us from getting to these appointments, uh, whether that be childcare or even care for dependent uh, elders in our, in our families. So the time it takes from the time of, of finding a suspicious symptom, um, getting um, a confirmation of a cancer diagnosis, and then forming a treatment plan can also be extended, which can work against us sometimes in getting to the best care possible as soon as we can. Um, many of us have other chronic illnesses that also may prevent us from getting either quick treatment because those need to be Quantified, we need to know exactly how bad our breathing is because we um, we need a certain amount of good ox oxygen getting into our systems to be able to withstand uh, the treatment that's proposed or the surgery or the anesthesia. Um, so um, having that that quantified is very important so that a treatment plan can be made that's best for us. Um, Another aspect that has been impacted, especially by COVID-19, but has been problematic for years is a decreased um, uh, participation in clinical trials. Clinical trials help define not only what's best for us, but, but what's best for people who have our type of cancer at a certain stage who may have certain other um, conditions. So it's, it's really important for all of us to be part of clinical trials. And that is, um, it's been well known that clinical trials are, um, are uh, taken advantage of less by some underserved populations or even offered less to some underserved populations. So uh, these can all result in um, decreased survival rates, increased mortality rates, uh, and 
although um, we have looked at this as a society, we haven't really taken hold of it. And I think as these programs were starting to get traction and um, some uh, real recognition in the uh, in the both the patient community and the provider community, we've been now set back by COVID because many of these same problems are, have been hap- happening, as we all know, in diagnosis, prevention, and treatment uh, of COVID for all of us. Um, other speakers have discussed the fact that the socioeconomic conditions are vital to getting us better. So um, having access to good food, having access to um, a telephone or a computer to allow us to make a telehealth visit can be problematic in certain underserved communities. And one of the other speakers actually did mention that some of this some of the ways that we've been able to get uh, to compensate for all of this has been through philanthropy and philanthropy itself has been sidelined because people haven't been getting together or have been giving money to COVID related situations rather than cancer related situations. So all of these uh, can certainly um, be problematic and um, we were starting to work on these and, and it's, it's, We've all been stuck. Um, Hopefully, some of the things we're learning from COVID will actually be able to apply to cancer, other acute and chronic diseases um, as well. So I've been asked to look at if telehealth has um, helped advance health equity, helped to make people uh, care more accessible to people. And again, that really would depend upon people's access to devices. Luckily, uh, many of us have gotten do as much as we possibly can on a regular telephone call without access to video or without access to any other device, uh, especially in either um, very introductory beginning of initial consultation because a physical exam is not possible or doing follow-up calls with patients and families that we already know. Um, Telehealth is greatly dependent upon us having access to the devices. Uh, In addition, um, the kinds of information that we usually suggest when it comes to preparing for telehealth appointments um, are a little bit easier when it comes to telephone calls because we're all used to using the telephone, uh, not having to get used to a a new new technology. But having questions prepared is really helpful, whether it's telephone or a telehealth call through a device and having those questions answered. Final thing I need to speak about in the last few minutes is the concept of open notes. And um, some of us who have access to uh, either tablets or computers or uh, uh, smartphones have been able to get test results and see our actual medical records on on these devices. Um, It can be extremely misleading. The way these uh, notes are put together after our visits are often with phrases that are a part of the choices that we can make and not always what we needed to write. So um, an abbreviation may seem off-putting or um, an example that would be an abbreviation we use all of the time in medicine would be SOB, shortness of breath. In everyday English, that could mean something terribly um, 
inflammatory. And um, sometimes people leave the records with the idea that uh, we may be making um, a comment that would either be critical or many of uh, it's just misleading. Some of these are standard medical abbreviations that we use every day, all day. And um, if you are reading your um, your chart or progress note through an open note system, please uh, speak with a provider. Someone in a provider's office, it may mean, it may be the one of the, pro, the physician or provider extenders who, who would be helpful in translating what these abbreviations mean so that uh, you understand exactly what you're reading. Some of it can be extremely misleading. So in, in a short period of time, I've tried to build on um, what the other callers have said, um, acknowledging that there's still a whole lot of work to be done in helping all of us get by our sort of unconscious reactions to a point where we're providing good, accurate diagnostics and good quality care to everyone, as well as getting through some of the socioeconomic characteristics that are keeping us from doing that, like the issues of transportation and food and access to pharmacies and pain management and all of the modalities that are available at some cancer centers, but not uniformly across the United States. Uh, with that, I will turn the call back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was a superb presentation. Thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And I'm just going to say a few words about um, Cancer Care Services. And please get your questions ready because we're going to soon go into the Q&A. Um, however, I just want to let you know that um, Cancer Care does offer a number of free programs and services um, to really increase your access to the care that you may need. So what are those services? Well, first of all, Cancer Care is staffed by about um, 45 oncology social workers. And we have a hope line, so a phone that you can call, or you can go to our website. Either way, you can access one of our staff. And when you call our hope line, usually people call for a specific reason. The social worker will address your question and will actually um, <clears throat> let you know all the other services we offer as well. So what are the services we offer? We do offer um, both practical and financial assistance, and we have a co-payment assistance program. That can be very, very helpful in terms of helping with the costs of care and treatment, transportation, home care, child care, a lot of different things. That's really an essential service that we offer. And co-payment assistance helps with some of the costs of medications and things like that significantly. And we also have a case management group. So if we do not have a service you need, that group will take you, one of their staff will take you virtually to a place that can meet your needs. Sometimes it's around food and security and they will help you to connect in your community or regionally or nationally to resources that can help you or with the cost of your rent or mortgage, all those kinds of things they'll help you with. Um, just those practical costs um, and resources that you need to know about. Um, we also offer online support groups and people really like those because they're not in real time, they're actually in, um, you know, whatever time you post things and then people can, and they're all moderated by an oncology social worker. We also have something called coping circles, which are Zoom calls on a different um, really emotional and educational uh, subjects that many people find very helpful. Um, and um, we also have these workshops and we also have, of course, um, publications as well. So that gives you a thumbnail sketch of our 
those resources we, resources we offer. Now, before we move on to the questions, um, I have a few questions for all of you to address, um, and then we'll move right on. It should take about two minutes, and then we'll move right on to the questions for our speakers. So our first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the disproportionate burden of COVID-19 and its variants on cancer um, and on people of color. Um, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And again, those who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions and rate the questions as well. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of social determinants of health, including language spoken, health literacy, food insecurity, housing, job commitments, food and pharmacy deserts, and access to cancer treatment in the LGBT community. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the influence of local and regional environments on access to health care and oncology care. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how race may impact access to oncology care, treatment, management of treatment side effects, quality of life, and pain management. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team to use their tips and suggestions to get health promoting nutrition and how to use telehealth, telemedicine appointments to increase access to healthcare, cancer screening, cancer treatment, side effects, and pain management. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I just want to thank everyone for participating in these questions and now we have time for your questions. I'm going to ask Misty to bring all of our speakers on board. Grace, I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm sorry, Misty, to bring all of our speakers on board and um, to actually um, uh, explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please press the star one on your touchtone phone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press star with the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay, and we have some wonderful questions from our um, online participants. So I'm going to, um, so this question for, um, uh, for Dr. Palos, what are some challenges in research to reduce cancer health disparities? That's an excellent question. Um, I've been involved in oncology for a couple of decades, more than I want to say, and we have heard about health disparities for many, many, many years. 
I believe that the COVID um, side effects or the COVID impact that we saw on so many populations really brought this back home in, into public opinion and, and public review and have had our healthcare professionals and researchers looking at this problem again, but with different lenses. One of the groups that I mentioned was our LGBTQ group. In the past, there was very little on this population as far as research or even any type of um, workshops with, for healthcare professionals on how to uh, meet the, the needs of, of this population. And so that's an area that I believe that we've seen quite a bit of change and good change as far as trying to limit the health disparities that this population is facing. We know that ethnic and minority groups have faced health disparities for a number of years. Dr. Wakefield gave a beautiful, um, I mean, Dr. Newman gave a wonderful uh, discussion of that. But there's other groups that are marginalized or stayed hidden. And now in the last few years, we have really seen where we're seeing an increase in research. The only thing is that we'd like to see the same increase in the enrollment of these uh, marginalized societies or, or unique uh, populations in clinical trials, and that's where we need to start focusing our next set of research efforts. Excellent. Thank you so much. And, um, um, and Dr. Fleischman, what are the broader implications of the health disparities? Well, the broader implications are that uh, certain populations are, um, are, getting, are, are not getting better uh, as well and not getting better as fast. And that just keeps the chain going. Um, uh, so the broader implications are that as a society, we need to really stop and look at the fact that we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world, yet there are still these blind spots that we have to fix. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank our speakers. You've really been amazing on today's program, um, and uh, I cannot thank you enough. I also cannot thank our participants enough for asking such great questions. We have many more questions in queue, so I'm going to comment on those now, but I just wanted to thank all of you. This has been a phenomenal call. It's one that we hope to do again and again um, because there's so much more to be done in this area. So I want to go over with all of you. For those of you who got to ask a question or for those who have a question um, that you didn't have a chance to ask, or for those of you who have a question that you're thinking about, I want to encourage all of you um, to be sure to um, take those questions to your healthcare team. They obviously know you the best, and they are really wonderful resources for you in terms of getting your questions answered. So even if you ask the question, please go back to your healthcare team so that they can actually further you know, address the questions you asked. And these are questions that need to be continually asked over and over again um, of healthcare teams and how to really best work with them. Again, I don't want anyone to leave today's program feeling that you're alone. I want you to know that you're now part of the community of support, and we are here to help you. Um, and um, your healthcare team, it consists of many different members from both your um, oncology team members, oncology nurse, oncology social worker, patient navigators, financial assistants, personnel, um, and um, so that I, um, I just wanted to let you know that um, there's a lot of people 
in your setting that can help you. In addition, you certainly can contact Cancer Care. Our staff will be happy to help you. And we're also going to give you, when you get the Survey Monkey evaluation from us, other resources that you can contact for specific types of help that you need. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation um, today, and um, I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.